Hello, everybody, and welcome to this Trainwreck Sports Podcast, where we are here to pay the bills, sponsored by Outlet Liquor. Joined by, as always, my co-host, Mike Partham. Once again this week, the great Robin Mundy, and for the first time in a long time, Joe Cons. Joe, Joe. What's up, everyone? Coming out of retirement. Coming out of retirement. Thank you, Joe, uh, for coming in. Uh, in a crazy time in, in the bills season, uh, we've got a roundtable here to kind of just talk through Everything going on at One Bills Drive because there's there's a lot going on, obviously, from last week, today. I feel like Thursday, we we just hit with like the news dumps every Thursday now. And we're here to to break it down for the people. So that's what we're gonna do tonight. Um, so thank you all for joining. The first thing we need to talk about, um, as we had a large episode last week, uh, would encourage you to go listen to that. Um, and thank you, Robin, again for joining us last week to kind of discuss and disperse talk through the the von miller allegations as they came up last thursday and so we had a week to go we knew that yesterday was going to be a big day and to see what was going to happen how the bills were going to react i think we all pretty much um assumed that von miller would be away from the team i think we came away with that decision at the end we're like well i wouldn't expect that and everything well that is pretty much the opposite von miller was at practice today he had a rest day yesterday he will be available to play on sunday um, Brandon Bean had a press conference yesterday. It was 19 minutes long. Every single question was about the Von Miller allegations. And so I want to run through some of the quotes that um, that were came out of this. Anytime it's an ongoing investigation, if something was uncovered, the commissioner does have the ability to put somebody on the exempt list. doesn't look uh, if he feels there was something. With our knowledge of what we have today, we don't expect that. It's a very serious nature and something that we would definitely we're going to take every precaution with culture and character and all those things are super important but we also have to remember we have to let the legal process play out the guy that we've seen here for a year and a half that seems out of character again these are quotes from brandon bean yesterday um another quote 
Um, character is very important to us here in Buffalo. I think you've seen that. We want everybody to be model citizens and never have their time in the police bother, but things happen sometimes. And again, we have to give them their fair due process. That can happen to anyone. And I would hope we would wait to all and let that play out before we rush to judgment. Among other things, when he was speaking there for 19 minutes, um, defending their decision to allow Miller to be on the team, uh, show, be at practice. And I would assume unless they decide to make him a healthy scratch for some reason, he's going to be on the field again in Kansas City. So, Robin, we'll start with you um, because we had you on last week and wanted to and wanted to bring you back again this week. To We were hoping to talk more just about football this week because that was what we intended last week, to just have a nice football conversation. But we're glad that you decided to come back again this week. So um, just wanted to discuss uh, – what you what your initial feelings were with the with the bean comments yesterday and then you also wrote a story talking about um that you can find on buffalofanbase.com and after i stop talking here i'll put a link under the tweet here so please go i would encourage you to go read that um but you talked about it the difficult time to be a bills fan right now and a difficult time to be i think even a football fan from anything else because as you mentioned in here this is an issue that's happened with a lot of players around the league and a lot of teams around the league. And how do you go about this? And I think that your, your question here at the end is very good. How are we supposed to be true to our personal integrity? How are we going to put all the information we have together and come up with a conclusion? Nothing happened when there is a police report that clearly states something happened and how will, should this affect your fanhood? Can we continue to support an organization that is not provocative in policing incidents, non-incidents, and letting law enforcement guide the way. Um, and I thought that was really poignant at the end and, and within the whole article too, because you also mentioned, you know, what, how, am I, how can I continue to support the NFL when they continue to handle domestic violence issues the way they do? If I'm not willing to walk away, or what kind of person am I if I'm not willing to walk away from a team I've loved the whole, my whole life? And those are all the questions I was asking myself yesterday. Like those were every single thing, like even talking, talking with people close to me like how do i like how do i go and they it's such a large part i've i've said even on publicly personally like this is the one team i i genuinely like every other team like i care about a little bit but win or lose at whatever like thing this is the team that i'll sit there and be emotional stressed out about and so i think you put that into words so just yeah talk me through you know <laughs> why to put a pen to paper and just how you thought about the response yesterday when they finally came out with comments? I waited, <clears throat> excuse me, I didn't say too much on social media about the incident. I talked a lot more about it on our podcast. And then of course, after our podcast last week, it wasn't until I believe after the podcast that the story was recanted. Yes. I think it was after our podcast. It was like right after we got off the air. Yeah, that's, that's that's what I thought, because that was like the first thing I saw. And I my immediate reaction was like, oh, OK. <clears throat> now, in the article that I wrote for buffalofanbase.com today, there, <clears throat> excuse me, is a good article about why people recant under those circumstances. And I would encourage you to read it because it's it's very informative. Regarding the press conference, let's, let's start there. I was not surprised, but I did see Brandon Bean in an uncharacteristic, uncomfortable poise that I hadn't seen from him before. 
<clears throat> in the past, whenever he's dealt with the media, even if it's been about something contentious, he's always been super comfortable and able to articulate himself very well. I didn't think he handled this one quite so well. And the reason I say that was because he seemed fidgety. I'm not sure that he was comfortable with what he was saying because, and he's right when he says this, he cannot make a comment one way or the other without Von Miller's attorneys breathing down his throat. So there are all sorts of considerations that he has when he speaks about this issue. So I'm not surprised that he said what he said. I was more surprised at the way he said it because I'm not sure that he was convinced himself by what he was saying. When he said, this is not the person we knew, my response in my brain was, well, there are an awful lot of people who commit domestic violence who seem like really nice people. So that I took kind of an issue with. And I felt, I felt as if Bean was basically saying, and rightfully so, the NFL has to take the ball by the horns or the bull by the horns. The NFL the Buffalo Bills, as I understand it, they couldn't take any kind of legal action unless the NFL took legal action, which the NFL is not so inclined to do because it doesn't seem like the prosecutors in Texas seem to be interested in taking legal action either, at least at this point that we know of. Maybe they are looking at things behind the scenes. I think in my article, I said that I think they would probably rather touch the Ebola virus than touch this issue. Um, but, you know, that's just my understanding the way Texas rolls. So all things considered, I thought it was an awkward press conference. I'm not sure how I feel about all of it. I still think, well, one thing I do think for sure I think we live in an age where things are so closely guarded for legal reasons. I kind of remember a time when maybe a person who was accused of something like this might actually come out and respond to the allegations being made directly. But you won't see that happen now because the lawyers will tell you, oh, no, you can't go out and defend yourself. Well, that's fine. But it still would have gone some ways with me if I would have been able to at least hear what Von Miller had to say about the allegations himself. Um, that all being said, I think it's a mess. I think it's a mess. I think the bills are a mess right now. And when we get on to the other stuff we're going to talk about, we'll see how it all kind of layers up and piles on. Very well said. Uh, Joe Cons, we, you wanted to have you on for a while now, and it's, I'm sorry that it's just the most wild couple weeks in bills for I don't, at least my recent memory and everything else, but you are a voice of reason and someone I look to in these, in these situations uh, with a moral high ground and everything like that. And I think that you come with a good perspective on these things. So how did you feel in the last week? Cause we didn't get to talk to you last week. And then 
yesterday? Like, were you were you surprised yesterday at all? Or was that kind of what you expected from the Bills organization and Bills brass? Because on top of Brandon Bean comments, and we'll talk about, like, like you mentioned, Robin, we're going to talk about Sean McDermott a little bit too. Sean McDermott decided his task was like, I'm just going to let Brandon talk about it and not say anything too. So it was a very, and if you want to talk about the parallels on social media, people have brought a lot of parallels to the Von Miller situation and the Matt Ariza situation, which I don't think it's a one-to-one situation. These are very nuanced things, everything else. But besides the whole cases and everything else, from my PR brain working, when that situation happened, Sean McDermott and Brandon Bean were up there together talking, taking that press conference and stood up there for 45 minutes and answered questions. And yesterday it was Brandon Bean taking the front of that fire too. So that's just a note that I wanted to make. But Mm -hmm. how how did you see it um, last week and then as it came to yesterday? Well, listen, it's a bye week, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like we get a break from the Buffalo Bills. Right. And like, which we all needed. We all wanted a break. (laughs) And I told somebody, I said, Oh, thank goodness. We get one week away from the bills. The Sabres are kind of laying an egg. I just need a break, right? And then sure enough, <laughs> this happens, right? <laughs> like this all comes out. Uh, I mean, this came out, you know, before, but uh, it, it was like Brandon Bean takes the podium. And I'm like, okay, like when Brandon Bean takes the podium, he commands the room. I'm expecting, you know, he's going to be suspended indefinitely until we figure this out. Just kind of taking the same template with the Arise situation. Not a one one for one, completely understand, but just this is the template that Brandon Bean has. The moment he said, oh, he's going to play, you know, he's not that type of guy. I'm like, wait a minute. How many episodes of like Unsolved Mysteries have we seen where like this guy was a eight to five worker who went to work with a lunch pal. He came home one day and they couldn't find his wife. Like, I'm not trying to be funny here. I'm saying that like every story starts out that way. And, you know, obviously we still have to figure out what's going on. However, I'm always going to take the word of the victim at face value right off the jump before we figure this out. That's just how it works in my brain. Um, And what could have been a great bye week where we're talking about who's getting healthy, how Josh Allen's playing. This adds more pressure to the locker room and adds more pressure to Josh Allen, which we'll get in probably later in the podcast, just how he's playing, that now he now he probably feels he has to burden this and play his best football he's ever played against a team that has ended his season multiple times in the playoffs. So now what was a relaxing bye week is now tense. Um, for everyone listening out there, everyone's been saying, Oh, this is a crucial week. The crucial week was against the Denver Broncos. The crucial week for the Bills was against the Jaguars. We are so far beyond beyond crucial weeks for the Bills that I just kind of don't even care about the season anymore because it's just it makes me sick to my stomach that we have to deal with this on a bye week. So um, to put it simply, um, I'm I'm disappointed in the way that um, that Brandon Bean handled it. And I'm also disappointed yet again in the way Sean McDermott tends to hide behind other people when things like this happen. And we'll get further into that with the next portion of the show. But um, again, it just shows the lack of transparency within the organization. Yeah. And Mike, before we, before we get to you here, you mentioned victim blaming and I was discussing this as I discussed with people close in my life the whole last week. I'm sure we all have because Mm -hmm. we're all emotional about this team. We all care deeply about this team. We're in a phase where it's like, don't know, what we want to do. And I was speaking with my girlfriend about it over Texas. She said the line that got to me, she sent me just a screenshot from the story. And this is not somebody who follows football at any point, Mm -hmm. like doesn't care. 
and said, that can happen to anyone in this room. And her immediate comment was victim blaming. Like, how could you say that and just put it like, put everybody in that scenario and say that can happen to anybody in here when you are, we've had like, and we're discussing the facts of this case. Right. That's a, that's a, that's a crazy assumption to, to say. It shouldn't happen have, to anyone. That shouldn't happen. It shouldn't happen to anybody. The, the, the difference with this conversation and why I feel so comfortable being like, what the hell is going on here is because we've all seen the report. If you want to listen to the 911 call, you can all listen to it. Like these are facts. Like these things mm -hmm. happened. Whether she recanted, which she, like Robin mentioned, she did recant right after we got off this pod. And that just made things even harder to parse through because then the people who just are, were going to blindly defend Von Miller and were already victim blaming before they had that statement could just be like, oh, well, it's, it's taken back now. So it doesn't matter as if the the previous 24 hours didn't happen and it's that's that's the hardest part for me to parse through so that thank you for bringing that up Hans. but mike we mm -hmm. talked about it with you before uh, the pot we were talking a little bit before anybody else jumped in here and just didn't i asked you how you were doing you said it, it's hard to say right now so how are you how are you doing listening to this and just taking everything in through the last week since we last talked well, you and Joe and Robin have touched on a few things about that press conference that uh, really resonated with me as far as them, they're speaking to Von Miller's character, you know, as if that is something that is supposed to, you know, you, ne you never know these players. You never know these public mm -hmm. figures. It never know what's going on behind closed doors in their own personal lives. And uh, it's just a lot of, uh, a lot of, from either me Bean and McDermott and mostly from Bean because McDermott was passing the ball on, on to Bean's comments. Uh, Robin, Robin has that article that she linked in, in her article about the patterns of domestic abuse and how there might be an initial show of strength for, you know, calling the authorities and wanting to stand up to your significant other, husband, boyfriend, whatever. And then, oh my God, what have I done? What if there's going to be more trouble down the line because I, you know, told on him because, regardless of how heinous the actions were. And then it's, oh, we got to take this back because I don't want to have any further abuse, verbal or physical down the line. And it's almost like no one has Googled. No one even wants to research the most basic aspects of these situations that, it, that in this day and age, anybody with a smartphone can just, you know, type it in and say, what are the characteristics of domestic abuse? And they'll just tell you, you know, uh, Sometimes it's the person you least expect. Sometimes it's the person putting on a face, putting on a character in front of everybody else. Uh, one comment from some of the players that stood out to me was from Leonard Floyd, quote, it doesn't become a problem in the locker room until other guys start minding other guys' business. Outside of that family stuff, that's their business. It's not for everybody. Personally, uh, whatever your personal discussions are for, for daily minutia is your business. However you want to raise your kids is your business. But when it comes to violent acts like these against, especially against a pregnant woman, then it becomes my business because I don't feel comfortable playing with you as a person. I don't feel comfortable playing alongside with you, no matter how good you are. And at this point in time, and it's, it's a, it's a secondary matter. It shouldn't even be, uh, really part of the discussion but von miller at this point is not contributing to this team in any significant fashion whatsoever so you can't even have a conflict of interest not that there should be a conflict no matter if we were talking about stefan diggs or god forbid josh allen and we could and there was it was uh we got let's say we got a conviction out of this 
not that we're expecting it now because uh, as Robin said, they probably won't go ahead uh, with charges or trying to formally press charges if the victim is recanting and, uh, you know, every DA's office probably has different personal preferences. Uh, there's a great uh, podcast uh, episode from Tim Graham uh, talking with uh, someone who is uh, prosecuted or defended. Uh, she's an attorney and knows a lot about these cases and how different DA's offices will want to proceed and how some are afraid of uh, in the future if such an incident happens again and God forbid something more severe happens, then it's essentially on their consciousness. But for... I just don't want to pl- I just wouldn't want to be associated with anybody like that as a as a friend as a coworker or anybody. So you're darn right it becomes my business when I hear about something this heinous going on in your personal life. And it's just disappointing to hear either whether it's being a McDermott or the players sort of just passing the buck or just speaking to their own experiences rather than trying to open themselves up to other experiences from, you know, wives and girlfriends and significant others who have to live like this sometimes with these horrible experiences that we don't know about, but we you can find out about by just simply reading an article and trying to find out for yourself, which we're all capable of. That brings up a good point, too, that you make, because in the Bean Conference, when he said that's not the person we know, don't we know that there's a prior history that Von Miller has. And that's and that's something that Bean himself, being the general manager, should have been perfectly aware of. Even if, you know, the the so the so-called revenge porn uh incident happened right around the time that uh, Von Miller was being acquired by the Bills, that's something you should you should either research or uh, you should comment on when it happens. Yeah. And certainly the investigation in Denver that happened should have been a consideration. And even after the fact, even with, you know, uh, a good history with uh, the team thus far, knowing those incidents or needing to be aware of those incidents should play into what you know of his character. Was that a one-off incident? Was that something that uh, was vaguely reported and no charges were ever formally filed or nothing? It was a... put forth in the news about what specifically they were regarding. But now that this new incident has, I say incident, my goodness, to dilute it like that. Um, now that's becoming a pattern. You can't simply say that it's not within his character. You can say that it's not within your personal interactions with him, but you cer- certainly can't say that that's not the person we know, because if you're aware of what his, I, I don't want to say his priors because they weren't convictions per se, but, if you're aware of those incidents, then you can't just simply say that that's not the person we know because if you know of those things. Yeah, it's a trend at this point. Like do it's you, a trend of uh, go ahead, Tom. Sorry, I didn't mean I'm just gonna say, do you know how exhausting it is? Like the fact that Sunday at 425, when Von Miller makes a play, if he makes a play, do you know how ex- exhausting it is to have to sit there and watch that and just be like, like it like it just it's a great cloud over a game that we're supposed to be like, this is the game of the week, right? Like that's what I'm getting from everybody's vibe here is it's like, there's so much to uncover. And a wise person once told me when you let things snowball, this is what happens when you don't nip it in the bud right off the jump. This is what happens. You get everything that comes all at once when you don't handle it. I'd be very interested in the perspective of ironically enough, Kansas city chiefs fans who were going to be, I guess, interacting with this week. Uh, Miami Dolphins fans, both from for the Tyreek Hill thing, 
and uh, especially Cleveland Browns fans. Uh, as far as you know, never being formally charged, Deshaun Watson was never formally charged, and he was, right. I believe, retroactive, retroactively at least suspended ten games. Although he was out for, I think, right. the better part of a year dealing with uh, those allegations. Yeah. Uh, but regardless, you know, formal charges, you know, the league and the team with the league's blessing, I guess, can do things like even if they're not going to suspend them, just send them on the inactive list and, yeah. and say so in that press conference on front and not let us keep guessing whether you're going to do it or not right up until two hours before game time. Right. And you can have perfectly logical football reasons, as we previously mentioned, to do that in the first place. So yeah. you don't even have to make it an awkward situation where we're doing this to let the process play out. How about we're doing this to let our football team get get better and let AJ Epinesa take some snaps instead of Von Miller? Yep. Uh, the theme of a lot of what you just said, Mike, that I, I think that I'm gathering and from all of us here too, is it's whether it be Brandon Bean or whether it be fan base is discussing this and just blindly um, just siding with the bills and siding with Bob Miller is willful ignorance. Like you said, like you can go look up exactly what these cases, what the trends in these cases can be and how sometimes uh, victims will react in the moments afterwards and everything else as Robin stated out too. And so whether Bean is a Robin, I think you made a great point that he did not look comfortable in that press yeah. conference. I didn't think he did too. I don't think he really believed all the stuff he was saying too. So who is a making him say that? I think you have to look at the the overall leader of both these organizations and where this is coming from ownership and where they're sending a lot of, paying a lot of money to Von Miller to be a football player and everything else. And if Brandon Bean does, does believe that, everything that he said, then he just thinks the fans are stupid and he, he's talking down to everybody in that press conference i think and trying to pull a fast one by them by by saying the things that he did by saying that oh this isn't the character we've seen and everything else when we can just go look up these prior incidents and you can be like if you can't you're you can't be shocked by this brandon like this can't be like like it can't be like oh my gosh like i can't have no idea like you have to be and you've had five, you've had six days to process it and come up with something too. That's the thing that, like, how were how were they so unprepared to handle that press conference when they had six days to prepare and and at least come up with a message and come up, if this is what you were gonna do, there had to be a better message to the fans. And I think they wanted to just say, hey, like this is what we're doing. Let's focus on the Chiefs, and that's pretty much what Sean McDermott said afterwards too. Like he's like Brandon said, everything I need to do. I'm here to coach a locker room and coach a football team. And the players too, I think, Mike, that you mentioned, willful ignorance. Leonard Floyd's comment saying that. I saw that, you know, at some point, there has to be a player in there that stands up and is like, what the fuck, bro? Like, what What are you doing? Like, you have, what are you doing here? Like, why are you even here? Why are you not handling your business? And that's a big thing that I think talks to the culture. I think we talk about this McDermott story in a minute here. And whether how much you want to believe of it, whatever else, like there's clearly something going on with this culture in this team. And maybe that none of these players feel empowered to do that. I don't know where this decision came from, where like who ultimately said the final say that Von Miller is going to play this Sunday and be practicing with his team, whether Robin you mentioned could be pressure from his lawyers being like, you're going to sit him. Hey, like, I don't know what kind of case they would have, but who knows what it would be like with them complaining or just Von himself putting pressure on the organization in a way. I don't know where that's coming from, but it's baffling to me that this is the decision and the message from the team following last week. 
ahead. Do any of you wonder what might be different if Kim Pugula was still involved with the organization? Yes. Mm, I mean, well, at the end of the day, Terry has to go home to her. So yeah. ultimately, he has the answer to her, even in, even on a per, if not on a per, business sense, on a personal sense. Well, it's a great point too. But like, what about Jesse? What about his daughters, <laughs> Jesse yes. and Cindy, and every, and everything else? Like, and just where it comes from. And I don't. That's it's a lot of speculation on my hand when bringing ownership into it. But we, leaders lead. Like, it comes down from somewhere. If Terry wanted Von Miller to not be there, Von Miller wouldn't be here, regardless of money, regardless of anything else. And so, putting Brandon Bean out there and. People, a lot of good journalists have made the points and cons. I'll let you get to your point in a second here. A lot of good journalists. Yeah, that's made okay. The point. I didn't mean to make faces. I just, when's the last time? No, that's that's my cue to, to get to you. Don't worry. <laughs> uh, a lot of made. Terry has not spoken publicly in a couple couple years, 18 months, spoken in front of media. So to send Brandon Bean out there, especially if they had conversations and Brandon Bean did not agree with it, which I think at least from a, at least he wasn't comfortable sitting in front of the media, whether he thought that it was the decision he needed to make football wise and just knew it was going to be a tough time, or he really doesn't think Bond should be on the team. That's a whole other conversation one way or the other, but to put him out there alone and put him isolated in that situation when this is going on is it's a little disturbing to me. Like it's a little, just it's the exact opposite way I would recommend to handle it from a, from a PR perspective for sure at the very least, but go ahead. Collins. Uh, Robin, you, I understand where you're going with it. I guess my thing is that, and I and I hate to say this because a part of me is like, I'm so thankful that they're able to save both franchises. Like that's one part of me. But the other part of me is just the way fans for both franchises, maybe more the Sabres and not to bring them in than the Bills, but just the way the fan interaction has been with them doesn't make, doesn't give me any faith that, it would be far different. It might be slightly different, but maybe not as different as we would like it to be. Um, I just think, and and I think about, um, I bring the Sabres into this and I know it's been a season. It's gut wrenching. I mean, it's like, I feel like I text Jake just complaints (laughs) about anything Sabres related now, because we're supposed to have a good season and this is what we're going to do it. But you look at the fan appreciation, you look at things like you can't purchase a franchise and not be involved. Um, it's just not mm-hmm. how it works. You don't have to be involved like Jerry Jones. Um, who's the Clippers owner? Is it Balmer? That guy's yeah. more involved than anybody. Mark Cuban was like, at some point, the owner steps to the front and addresses the media at some point. And mm-hmm. I think what made the Chicago Bulls so successful in the 90s was not only Michael Jordan, Scottie Pippen, Dennis Rodman, but their ownership group was always out front making decisions. That was a thing. They were right at the podium every mm-hmm. press conference. Think about That's the Yankees. Steinbrenner was always there to say, you know, Billy Martin sucks. We're going to fire him. Okay, I'm over it. I'm going to rehire Billy Martin again. The point I'm making is that you can't just let something run. You have to be involved. And with all due respect to Terry and Kim, great things that they've done. At some point, you have to intervene and, and be present. And I just don't know if it would change much in my mind. Um, but I'm a prove me wrong person. So hopefully something comes out in the next few weeks or months about what's going on within the organization because my faith dwindles each day. And if it wasn't for Josh Allen, this team would be – this team would have probably two wins and not even well, one maybe. And that's so. a that's a fair assessment. And as we talk – as we can, I think, shift gears into the story of the day with Sean McDermott and Ty Dunn's story because I think it – I think it's – 
Ty did such a great job with this story. Not, not as we said, it was not a character assassination of Sean McDermott. It was a character assessment and also just a culture assessment of what is really going on with this team. Because I think all of us as knowledgeable sports fan have noticed that whatever it is, like wins happening, you know, they can, they can rack up a lot of wins and, and have success on the field. But there has been something off this year specifically. But even in the last couple of years, like you can tell there's a disconnect, whether it be in the Brian Flores lawsuit, the fact that Brian Dable wanted to leave for a, a, a equal role as an offensive coordinator, whether and issues like that among all these things. And so I'll start with you, Mike. Uh, I know you had a chance to look through it a little bit, but what was your just biggest takeaway from the quotes today that you saw come out, just everything related, I guess, to Sean McDermott and kind of, I, and really to tie it back into the conversation we just had, because there's a lot of talk about in that article about how it's, it's, he's very controlling. He's very uh, hands-on micromanaging everything. And maybe a Leonard Floyd or a player like that, I want, I don't want to, give them an out for not standing up for their own beliefs, but maybe they don't feel empowered because the coach is running the locker room with an iron fist for seven years and everybody out of the organization and people who were just in the organization seem to all at least share that sentiment that he is kind of has his pulse on everything uh, going on there. So what were your kind of impressions of it? Hmm. My impression was what a lot of people have suspected all along that he doesn't want to take ownership for his defensive or even his overall team's uh, shortcomings. That uh, that was very true. That uh, coaches that have been leaving, especially Leslie Frazier, the, that we suspected that they left on bad terms and they just put a PR statement out there saying, oh, Le Leslie's taking a backseat for, you know, away from football. And we all thought that there was something else to it. That was true. It's like, it's like, you know, he is who we thought he was. And even more so than that, uh, that he's not been coaching well in late game situations. We've only we've only been seeing that every other week this year. Uh, it's been magnified so much more than just his recent playoff failures. Uh, and, he, and we want to say, you know, there's a, a bit of a balance in the article where so, certain pit, uh, players, former players, I'll rattle off some names, guys like uh, Pat DeMarco, Lee Smith, Taiwan Jones, Naheem Hines, and Isaiah McKenzie have spoke positively about their interactions with Sean McDermott. But then at the same time, a former starter who labeled Sean McDermott as a, quote, fraud, said that Sean will often berate players behind their backs after, you know, saying nice things to their faces. So even in the positive interactions, you can't really trust that because it's a say one thing and do another. Do as I say, not as I do, is the impression that a lot of these sources are giving off. Uh, as far as how Sham runs his office and how he institutes certain practices uh, in, in the office, on the playing field, during games. Uh, the one, as far as players that could stand up to Sean, the one guy that we all suspected was standing up to Sean over the, in the off season, Stefan Diggs, uh, according to sources, that's pretty much true that he doesn't, that's, Stefan Diggs does not enjoy playing for Sean, can't stand him. And the players are thankful for Diggs because he's got the balls to say out loud what they're all thinking. And Diggs is one of these players, you know, along with, you know, probably Josh Allen and maybe a couple other account on one hand number of guys that could probably 
stand up to Sean and they won't find themselves, you know, on the inactive list and then cut in the offseason as a few players did find themselves. That was another story. Uh, I mean, it's space. It's, it's a tale of two cities almost as far as metaphorically speaking. I mean, it's all, all one city, but it's a tale of two cities within that organization. It's the best of times and it's the worst of times. It's the best of times that they're winning all the, all these games, and it's the worst of times in that they're shrinking in the big games, seemingly coming up short in the playoffs, and are just so miserable that they want to get out of a situation where they're winning AFC championships with this generational quarterback. And unlike Bill Belichick, who may run a similar tight ship, none of these assistants want to go crawling back after they can't find, you know, greener pastures up outside of the, the Bills organization. So for a guy that emphasizes culture and for all the proponents of him to emphasize the culture that he's brought it's even though it's not an entire hit piece it's a pretty damning indictment on what he is supposedly trying to build versus what reality reportedly is yeah robin uh what did you think of the article today well I went back to the, the first thing I thought of was Ty Dunn. And Ty Dunn, I met once, and I believe him to be a very integrous person. I believe he's passionate about what he does. I believe the first time I really was aware of his professionalism is when he had the courage, and I mean it took courage, a few years ago to write an article about Aaron Rodgers. And I see you guys nodding your head, so you know which article I'm talking mm -hmm. about. He did an expose on Aaron Rodgers while he was quarterback of the Green Bay Packers, and that took a tremendous amount of courage for him to do. And for the people that want to say, oh, he just did that because Ty just did that because he couldn't get a press credential out of the bills. I mean, how ridiculous does that sound? I mean, I, people can say whatever they want, that's fine. But you're talking about a guy who is a professional journalist who exhaustively checks his sources who exhaustively does his work like a professional and to say that he's just writing a hit piece, that was a heck of a hit piece. That took a lot of research for that hit piece. Uh, 25 sources he had for this article. I mean, right. it's, it's, it's like a hit piece if you're getting like two sources that are just completely negative. And, and like we mentioned before, sorry to cut you oh. off, Rob, there were, there was, there were oh, good comments in this too. There was, there was positive comments about McDermott as well. I keep going about time. No, no. I, I completely agree with what you're saying. So where does the truth lie with Sean McDermott? Okay. I While I agree with the difficulty that you have parsing through anonymous sources, because that is difficult when people aren't willing to put their name to a quote. But I think... Be Beside that, 
we have to understand that all people are not all good or all bad. And we live in this binary time where people just want to jump to this. Sean McDermott is an asshole. Sean McDermott is the greatest thing since sliced cheese. Whatever, you know, whatever it is, the bottom line is human beings are complex and many of us are full of hypocrisies and contradictory behavior, all sorts of things. I, I struggle, I struggle with the notion of McDermott being devious or negative or mean spirited behind people's back, uh, on a conscious level, maybe on a, on a subconscious level, he, he does stuff like that, but it would seem to be counterproductive. However, and then on the other hand, I would also say that I completely agree with the assessment that Sean McDermott has yet to own any of the problems that he has encountered over the course of being a head coach and specifically starting with 13 seconds. If that was not something that we deserved a true answer for, I can't imagine what is. The fan base deserved a real answer. The fan base deserves more accountability than someone who says, oh, I, you know, it all falls on me. I'm the head coach. Sometimes that almost seems like a, a deflection. It's like, well, I'm the head coach, so I have to take responsibility for everybody else's mistakes. That's not what we're looking for, Sean. What I would like from him is more authenticity because I don't see it in terms of what you say and what you do are two different things. And so I am struggling with that. Now, at the same time, I will say straight up, I don't think he should be fired before the end of the season. I want these next games to play out because I believe that there will be no question in anybody's mind which way we go after the end of the season. But to, to fire him right now, I don't think that there's any potential benefit to that. So that's what to jump off your point about his accountability or lack thereof, we see the we we just saw the exact opposite of it just recently with our newly appointed offensive coordinator Joe Brady, who when Josh misses that pass, he puts it in the wrong spot for Gabe Davis, and uh, it comes out later that uh, because of the, where the defensive backs leverage was, that uh, uh, Josh Allen should have put it uh, out uh, outside instead of inside. And mm -hmm. Joe Brady sits up there and says, you know what? That's on me. I've got to get them on the same page. And it, it he's only it just gotten, gotten the job. Yeah. And he's only just gotten the job the last two weeks. So it's not a lot of time to, you know, coordinate with your guys the way you want to. But even so, regardless of whose fault it was, whether it was the quarterbacks or the wide receivers, he's up there saying, that's on me. That's on me to either own as my mistake or, as my thing that I've got to fix. And we have never heard that sort of genuine, you know, ownership of his units faults or mistakes from Sean McDermott, whether on a defensive perspective or on a whole, whole team perspective. So it just only highlights what we've wanted to hear out of Sean McDermott and haven't over these past few years, ever since uh, 2021. Can I add something that I find interesting a while ago, you would see Sean McDermott occasionally take a risk, 
come out of his comfort zone, not coach like Dick Geron. And it would work. And for the life of me, I cannot understand why he stopped because almost every time there was an example where he would be aggressive, where he would, you know, yeah, go for it on fourth down, all of that. Many, many times that was successful. And I don't understand why he has this tendency to turtle up and revert in the worst possible moments. Well, Bruce Nolan uh, recently laid out his thoughts on McDermott's mindset that contrary to what people might think, he's not conservative. He is aggressive. He's just not aggressive in the way we would like him to be. And Ty sort of touched on that a little a little bit of that on part of this article where he likes to get aggressive defensively. He likes to rely on his defense because that's part of his, I guess that's part of his ego because he's a defensive coach because he owns that unit even more so now that he's taken over the play calling duties from uh, Leslie Frazier, which was also the thing in the past that was uh, going on uh, frequently, but he, he wants it on his defensive unit and he he'll get aggressive defensively with you know sending cover zero blitzes here and there while contradictory at, at other times having his defensive backs play off uh coverage which we mm-hmm. thought was a leslie frazier thing that we had sort of solved indirectly by him departing the team but apparently not so yeah. basically I mean, confirmed he, he's, he likes to be aggressive in his own way and it was basically in that article it mentioned a point where in that 13 seconds moment that Leslie was calling that whole game and those two plays, Sean basically took over. And imagine you're Leslie Frazier in that moment and you're do it. You do your job all year long. And then in the moment that you can have like your best moment, you're probably your crowning moment of the season. Your boss comes in, takes it away from you and fucks it all up. Like, I can't imagine how maddening that is for a guy like Leslie Frazier who has done so much in this league uh cons what was your thoughts i know you probably read through the story and got to see everything and what were you what was yeah and saw the reaction i know you've been going back and forth you said today with people a little bit so how, how did you feel about it so robin brings up a very good point about exposes and feature writing and the true journalism that i enjoy and if you go back to 1999 one of my favorite writers jeff perlman for uh sports illustrated wrote a story on john rocker And the one thing you learn through journalism classes, if you pay attention and you actually read articles, that wasn't a dig at you guys on the podcast here, (laughs) but if you actually read the articles, sometimes you write a story and you can't get quotes. You can't get people to go on the record. So what do you Mm do? You observe from afar. And if you guys go and read that John Rocker story, you don't get a quote from anyone other than John Rocker until towards the end of the story. And it's Bobby Cox from, from the Braves. The whole first three paragraphs of the story is him shouting racial slurs out a window at someone in a minivan while driving a Camaro. And John Rocker is taking notes. And when John Rocker published the story, or when Jeff Perlman published a story about John Rocker, John Rocker got in his face and tried to punch him. The point I'm making is that sometimes the stories you write don't have the newsy quotes that you see all the time, like Sean McDermott alluded to. Sometimes it's, Somebody's watching you and everything that you do can be used in the story. So if right now Robin's writing an article and I'm speaking, but I flip you off, Jake, or I flip you off, I give you the finger, mic. she can put that in a story. That's her being a very good writer. So what my point to that is some stories that you read from journalists across any sport always start with a lead that describes a moment in time 
and how the person is. He doesn't even need the quotes for me to understand the type of person Sean McDermott is. And you want to know how I know that Sean McDermott called those last two plays? Have you noticed in crunch time what the Bills do? The same thing they did in the 13-second game. They don't cover the middle of the field. And guess who's calling the plays on defense? Sean McDermott. That's all I need to know. But when I read through this story and I think about the St. John Fisher portion of it and how many different stories come to mind about teams coming together and orchestrating something they have to carry out, the first thing that comes to mind is remember the Titans. You got D1 Mighty Ducks. You got Herb Brooks and the Miracle Team. You've got every single sports movie on deck. You've got American Sniper. If you want to go military, you've got American Sniper. You got Dwight. You got Eisenhower. You got everything you can think of, and that's what he cho chooses. One of the most tragic events in U.S. history, and then tries to flip it, and it's like, wow, right? Like how? Like that right there was gut wrenching to read. One, two, or that's the second part. The third part I have about this whole article. Do you think he was going to get the players, the former players, to admit what their name was? Like, let's think about that for a second. Do, do you think that he was going to do that? What Ty did it was courageous, but he used his words and his observations from what he heard and saw from these players and brought you inside the locker room. And the reason why people are so mad is because they he humanized the Bills in a way we didn't want the Bills humanized. Okay. And the craziest part about all of this that I love the most that I hear from everyone is that's not true journalism. If it's not, then what is, <laughs> what is true journalism? then? <laughs> yeah. And also my last point, if the Aaron Rodgers stuff is all true and every single Packers fan apologized to Ty after that. And my last final, final point <laughs> that I want to make about <laughs> this, because I have so much to say, but I'm going to condense it. If you really want to get a good story from Ty, one that'll make you cry, one that really gives you an insight of the way he treats athletes and players, Google the Stedman Bailey story. Stedman Bailey, uh, Rams wide receiver, was shot in the head. A robber, he was robbed. I believe he was robbed at gunpoint, shot in the head, came back and played a few NFL games. You need to go read that story. That's an award-winning story from Bleacher Report. So before you jump to conclusions and say this is a hit piece, this is this, this is that, read about him. Go read some of the stuff that he's written. And also, he's got a book out, <laughs> The Blood and Guts, The Tight End Stories. He's interviewed almost every single great tight end. He puts the time and the effort in. He's not out to get anyone. He's out to tell the truth. And because he doesn't have credentials, he's able to do that. And no, exactly. he's, not at, he's not mad he doesn't get credentials. Trust me. This is the yeah. way most of you should want it, to have an opinion on something. And I rest my case. And I, I wanted to make a point earlier. Let's uh, to Robin's point about, you know, who cared about uh, this being a supposed hit piece or not. Let's say for the sake of argument and hypothetical that it was. Does mm -hmm. it make any of these statements any less true? Does it make any of these sources any less credible? And and one more thing, I haven't gotten as far as the article as uh, some of you apparently. It's confirmed that Sean McDermott called those, called those last two, two defensive plays in 13 seconds. All I've read on 13 seconds is afterwards he basically blamed it on execution that he said in the press conference. But then he told the offense uh, behind closed doors that they essentially scored too fast and put it on the assistants that they have to do a better job to avoid all this happening again. Like... 
Yeah, um, I do have it right here. Um, I don't have it exactly here, but said one coach, imagine not being the play caller all along and then at critical moment, hey, let me take the wheel. Added one defensive starter. When shit hit the fan, I've seen him take over. Add one ex-Bills front office man. That's why the big game hasn't been won there. In big games, he definitely gets tight. And then in overtime, obviously we know what happened there. Um, and there's a little bit before about, there's an exact thing about him from a former Bills defensive starter that he took over, saying that he took over for the last two plays. And that was the, that was it from there. So yeah, I, Kanz, you made a great point. If that's not true journalism, I don't know what is. And I think that this is the, it's a, a larger conversation that we could sit here. I could sit and have for hours and hours about people's reaction to journalism because true journalism is supposed to make you feel, feel something. It, it's supposed in, to make you emotional. It's supposed because it's, this is real right. shit. Like it's exactly. real as hell. Like this is how people feel and it's what they exactly. genuinely experience. And you cannot invalidate these people experiences. You can sit there and just, Try and act like everything is not true because, like you said, it humanized it humanized the Bills in a negative, negative in a way in a way that people did not want to because everybody just wanted, and that's why it, tying it all back to Robin's piece and the story that she mentioned and where we're at, all of us are at with our fanhood and everything else. As, and at some point, you just can't be ignorant to the fact that these things are going on in your locker room. Yes, this is how the NFL works. Like the NFL is not they're going out there and playing a children's game. These are grown men dealing with these things on a day-to-day -day basis. And this is what you get from it. This is like, this is people, this is messing with people's livelihoods, the way that this culture is being, uh, is being at least explained in this. And it doesn't have to be that way. It, it, it truly doesn't have to be the way, Ryan, the way it is. Just because you're winning games does not mean that it's the right way to do these things. Well, and, and Robin, the, the way you write, because and, and it's been so long, I apologize. I have to keep in touch better on this. But I believe you had said that you had worked within the field of mental uh, mental health or psychology of some sort, if I'm not mistaken. That's correct. I was a psychotherapist and, for 20 years. And having having gone through therapy, the, you know, when you're in therapy, the first two sessions, you're like, it's not me. It's everyone else. Well, mm -hmm your words hold no weight when your actions are, you know what I mean? So like to your point and a lot of the stuff that you write is what you see and what you take from the things people say. So sometimes like people don't realize that people listen and hang on every single word that you say. So when you come out after you lose to the Broncos and you say, we didn't play complimentary football, what does that even mean? What is complimentary football? What, what is it? Because to me, complimentary football would mean all three phases of the game firing at all cylinders. Just say that. Just say that. Why do you have to say complimentary football? Why does it have to be sugarcoated all the time? If he came, if he came out to the podium and said we flat out stink, I'd be like, thanks. I, we that's I wanted you to say that. But time yes. and time again, it's trying to hide behind the truth, and that is, he it snowballed so bad the ship's sinking, and he has yep. no way of plugging the holes anymore. Because he's blamed everybody. With that being said, do I think Ken Dorsey should have been fired? I don't know because we don't. I, that's a that's an avenue we can go down and talk about in a whole nother episode. But I think Joe Brady was a nice spark. Maybe Ken Dorsey wasn't ready for the job, but we'll never know because he's not an offensive minded coach. We'll just never know who the issue was. Right. Very well said. No, we won't. And I think that there there's a little bit touched on this about Dorsey. Um, in this article, one player from last year said that in April, apparently, this conversation he had with Ty was 
and said, the first person that's going to be gone is Ken Dorsey. Mm -hmm. It's like, that will be their first move. And it's, 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 I mean, it's prophetic almost, but you know that, and that's, that's knowing the man that you're dealing with and knowing that he is going to continue to place blame in places that anything that protects him. And we know that he doesn't really have many other options at this point. And it's, and I think that speaking to the press conference yesterday and everything else, Brandon Bean looked uncomfortable. So did Sean McDermott, because that's a man who knows that he is under immense pressure. And if he handles pressure the way that this article has stated out, then a lot of these people have said that he handles pressure. He's not doing well with this right now. And he doesn't have a lot of answers. And I don't know if that team, if you have, you know, the talk about how Stefan Diggs, like in this article, says that he just flat out doesn't like the guy. The talk about how Josh Allen in this article there's just a disconnect. They're not that close, which does not seem like a successful relationship you want with your, you know, 250 million franchise quarterback. I want to read this quote, this last thing on this. I, on I, I know what you're going to read. Go ahead. I know what you're yeah, going to read. It's because it, it, it was, it was <laughs> the most baffling thing in this to me. Nonetheless, when Allen decided to put roots down and build a house with his then girlfriend in Western New York, the boss was livid inside staff meetings. One Source said McDermott would bark, tell Josh to stop worrying about that effing house. We've got the season coming up. When the season starts, that needs to be Brittany's issues and not effing his. Coaches, understandably, were stunned. And that's just... It's none of his business. <laughs> Look, it's not. Like, who cares? Let him build his house. Who cares? It's That's just like the 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 connection that you should have with your... Uh, if, if, if you have a connection with one man on this team that needs to be good... It needs to be Josh Allen. And there's a good point that Ty makes in here is that there's the Pagulas are spending a hell of a lot more money on Josh Allen than they are on Sean McDermott at this point, too. And if that's what speaks to Terry Pagula or whoever else or ownership, that's what it's, it, it ultimately could come down to. Josh is owed $258 million. And this team, as you said earlier, Cons, what would this team be without Josh? If, if, if Russell Wilson was the Bills quarterback right now, what would they be? Like well, this is like we the, we don't need two, to talk about Josh Allen's impact. Two thousand eight bills. <laughs> yeah, they would they would be Dick Duran years, like Robin mentioned earlier. <laughs> but that statement alone, out of everything else we've talked about with Sean McDermott, is so clueless and so. I, I just it's just baffling. It's it's extremely baffling that you can't let your your players focus on something at a, such a basic human level. You know, it and get upset it, about that. It puts into a different perspective the Leonard Floyd comment about Von Miller. Now, I think I stand by what I said. You know, if your family business is involving such heinous incidents like this, then it definitely becomes everybody else's business. It would become my business because I don't want to work with you and associate with you. But for such little minutia as buying a house, that is your personal business, and that doesn't have anything to do with team business or how you're going to approach the season. So Leonard Floyd says, you know, other guys should mind their business out and out the, the family stuff is their business. And it's not for everybody. Well, apparently Sean McDermott thinks everybody's business is for everybody. If it's not involving <laughs> football. That's a good point. So it's I a nice little dichotomy that. there of uh, what, what's your business and what isn't. <laughs> that, that was, my, my, I'm not going to lie that like, that was really good <laughs> to go that way. The tale of two cities and that two yes. amazing points during this whole thing. I love it's it. Amazing. He's, it's a man who, yeah, like you cannot have it both ways, man. 
you what cannot did- you cannot get all the credit for for bringing this organization back from where it was and being a winning organization and not take the pitfalls with it. He does not seem to want to take any pitfalls. I mentioned so- earlier how. Uh, the players feel like Diggs is one, the one guy who's got the balls to say what everybody's thinking. And of course he's clashing with the McDermott to the point where uh, maybe not walking out, but just going home for a day and then coming back to having another meeting with Sean to work out their problems. And seemingly they've cooled off just a little bit, but if Josh Allen had that same attitude as uh, Stefan Diggs, where he saw problems with the locker room and the execution and the, the game time management and the crunch time management and he spoke up the same way Stefan Diggs did would we have these problems or would Sean McDermott even be the coach at this point I think that's a fair question and I think that Josh is not going to do anything about that right now because Josh wants to go out and win football games that's going to be his focus but at the end of the year it's something that I talked about even a couple weeks ago with McDermott before any of the, any of this had gone on. I was, I was on the phone with my dad talking about it. We were on the phone for like two hours. It might have been after the Broncos game. One, one of the ridiculous games that we had to watch this year. Which one? And, Pick and, one. <laughs> and when, when we legitimately started bringing up like, is Sean McDermott, is is he in danger of losing his job, everything else? And, the, and we really came down to the fact that there's one man who really like, whether Josh wants to or not, it is on him to ha- hold this responsibility because there's nobody else that can go into Terry Pagula's office. And we, and we saw Tim Graham's reporting last week that Sean McDermott's basically safe this year, no matter like that's from Graham's reporting and sources close to the is that McDermott, barring an unforeseen change, will be the coach next year. An unforeseen Wait, change. Jake. Like Sorry to interrupt article? you. You you said you said sources close to the Bagulas. No one <laughs> stated a name though, right? Is that true that journalism? Not- now, just kidding. Tim does a very good job. I love Tim. Tim is, yes, I I do as well. Um, How about an unforeseen change like this article with twenty four sor- sources? This could be this could be considered an unforeseen change too. And this is why journalism is important because it puts these things out into the ether and puts public pressure on these organizations to do things. But I think that the one man who can do that is then make that change is Josh Allen. He's the man who has the most power in this organization in all of Western New York. The whole like, team could go in there wants. laying down their jerseys for Rudy, but the only one guy whose jersey is going to matter is Josh Allen, number 17. <laughs> it makes like, the, you oh, know what? Like, Terry, I will not play for Sean McDermott anymore. I will not play for Sean. I will not play for Sean. That's fine. That's great. Oh, Josh, nice to see you. Oh, what's that? Okay, I guess we can get a different coach. You're an all American act like one. <laughs> <laughs> After reading this, and this is the last thing before we will touch on these, this game Sunday and then we'll go. How ridiculous does the comment from last week about fostering a subculture within the culture seem now? <laughs> because because it clearly, like, it's, it, this man is grasping for all the straws at this point. That's what it seems like to me. And that's, that's it. Like that. That comment will go down. I will never forget. Is Sean basically saying he wants a Joe Brady to create a culture separate from him because now he realizes that his own culture is basically toxic, more or less, because he doesn't connect with the offense. So it's like, oh, Joe, you go connect with the offense, and I'll just leave you, know you alone what? for yeah. now. Yeah. That no. That's that's, that's exactly yeah. it. I'll run the defense. You run the offense, and that's yeah. not how it works. That's not how it works with a championship team. Your head coach is your manager. Head coach is your manager. He manages people. That's basically what he is. That's why you pay a coach. I will say opinion. it worked for the 85 Bears for one season. Yeah, but look, at, look at all the crappy coaches <laughs> that, that came out of that. 
Ron right, Rivera, yeah. he's going to get fired. <laughs> <laughs> um, any last comments on the McDermott story before we get into a, a football game on Sunday that we all don't know? I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't, I'm going to sit down and watch it Sunday. I, I'm don't think I care about the outcome. I honestly kind of think this team deserves a, another terrific loss because it might be the breaking point for them to come at, come after mm. and make a change. I don't know. I really don't know what I want. I don't think I'll have that answer until I'm sitting there experiencing it. So I'll start with you, Cons. We'll go around uh, just predictions, thoughts. If you want to talk about it on the football field, I think it's a really – that's the thing is I was so excited for this game because it's a, such an interesting game to me on the field with the way the Chiefs have been this year, where both these teams are. Both of Mahomes and Allen's record coming off of mm-hmm. losses are extremely good. Um, so on the field it might be interesting, but this is also a team that there's no telling how they're going to react when it comes down to it and the push and the chips get pushed in. Right. So how do you feel cons? Then we'll go to Robin and around the horn. So a source close to the chiefs that I know who's one of my <laughs> close friends. No, uh, I was talking to my friend, my <laughs> close friend, Vinny the, the other day about this game. And um, Vinny is as confident in his team. As you know, he has a whole bar dedicated to it. He has Bill's shelves on it. So I'll be there Sunday watching it with him. And it's always fun. It's like fighting with your brother. It's great. Um, but he's he's nervous, and I I think he has I think we're ner- I think we both feel the same energy, right? It could be a thirty-five seven game, it could be a shootout. We don't know. Both teams are struggling at in some point of their offense where the Chiefs don't have a true number one. Um, Travis Kelsey, I believe, is injured. You know, I don't think he's full one hundred. Um, and I think the Bills are still trying to figure out this identity of where does Dalton Kincaid fit? Where does Dawson not? Like, they're still trying to figure out what they do best this year. Um, so for me, I don't really, for the first time in my Buffalo Bills podcasting history, I don't really have a prediction. I just want a good yeah. game at this point at 6-6, six and six, and all that has to happen for us to make the playoffs, just make it a good game. But I, I'm really, just like Vinny said the other day, he's nervous, but I'm, I'm nervous too because – what Josh is going to show up, everything that's happened during the bye week. How is this going to transcend on Sunday? What's going to happen to this team? Is it going to weigh him down or are they going to overcome this uh, like uh, like uh, Johnny Moxon and Varsity Blues and they go against, you know, Bud Kilmer. So I see Sean McDermott as Bud Kilmer. And, uh, you know, I hope that Josh overcomes that. How about you, Robin? Okay, well, I took a different view in terms of looking at this game. I wrote down a few things that I thought had to happen for the Bills to win, one of which I think is that they have to be able to run the ball. I think running the ball against this team is going to be very, very important part of the game plan. And I like what Joe said because I'm still waiting to see what are we going to look at with 12 12 technique, right? What what are we going to look at? Yep. Are we going to have Dalton Kincaid catching passes? Is Dawson Knox going to be doing something different? I, I don't know. And then my joke here to all of you is, this is my question more so than any of the others. <laughs> Does Elam dress? <laughs> I think he should. I want to see him out there at this point. But wait a minute. Who would he be dressing for? I mean, we're not exactly dealing with, you know, Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle out there. 
Uh, that might be why you dress him. Like if you're gonna, if you got anything left of him, you got this is the matchup to see what he can. Yeah. I mean, it's still Mahomes mm-hmm. and everything else, but. Well, the Chiefs' offensive struggles have been well documented at this point. They've been at one point shut out for three consecutive games in the second half anyway. Uh, If you reach one game back further, then it's only seven points in four. Although they have scored 17 and 13 points respectively in their last two second halves, so maybe they may have made adjustments. But overall, seven games in 2023 for the Chiefs with 21 points or fewer. That's the most in the Mahomes era. He's on his worst uh, yards per attempt, and he's on pace for his most interceptions in a season for his career. Uh, Interesting little stat. Uh, There's a points below expected output. That's combining the Vegas line as far as margin of victory or who's expected to win by how much. And then you combine that with the over-under. That's an implied score. And with that implied score, the Chiefs are 50 points below their expected output as as Vegas expects it. They're the second lowest behind only the Patriots this season. Uh, and it, and one of the reasons for uh, the Chiefs' offensive struggles is their wide receiver production or lack thereof. We've seen them have a case of the dropsies, not unlike some uh, pass catchers here in Buffalo have had. Uh, the receivers have had a 6.5% drop rate that's tied for the 10th highest. Uh, Buffalo's not too far behind them, 6.3% drop rate. Uh, with That's about the 13th highest. So they're kind of in the middle range there, but definitely higher than normal. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I think Tyreek Hill actually made a comment that uh, Arrowhead at night, because of bad lighting, he's but he suspects causes more drops than usual. So that'll be interesting to see in a in an afternoon game where the sun might be down by the time they're mm-hmm. they're getting into the later the game stages. Uh, and contrast that, the, the offensive struggles with the Chiefs with the Bills' defensive struggles in the second half. Uh, Anthony from Cover 1 had some metrics for the Bills' defensive metrics and first half of games versus second half of games. Things like overall success rate, rush EPA, rush success rate, EPA per rush, and positive play percentage versus the run. The Bills are like first, second, or like top five in all those metrics. You take that to the second half, and all those same metrics are things like 27th, 29th, 27th, 26th, and 19th. So what we have here in the second in the second half of this game is going to be the resist, resistible force versus the movable object and who's going to finally give. Uh, so it's going to be interesting dynamic. And the Bills have beaten the Chiefs in the regular season in Kansas City when Kansas City was at a much higher strength. But then again, the Bills' defense was probably at a much higher strength with uh, – Oh, I think Milano might have been hurt for one of those regular season games at least, but still it's a, it's a mass unit defense versus a depleted chiefs offense. That's basically running out there with uh, Travis Kelsey and a bunch of stiffs. So a bunch of guys that couldn't catch a cold, I wanted to say. (laughs) So it's going to be interesting to see who steps up in the late game uh, crunch time, which now, as we know, is probably going to be uh, an Achilles heel of ours. And we know we're, where we're going to be pointing the finger every time if we haven't already pointed that finger uh, before in previous games this season. Yeah. Imagine the collective Bills fan base with if Patrick Mahomes gets the ball and it's like 28 to 24 with like two minutes left. I feel like it's just... <laughs> like if we all we all think of that scenario we all think what we know what would happen when so you talk about the movable force versus resistible object i I'm, I'm taking the ultimate tiebreaker in patrick mahomes i think in that scenario and that's what this game really comes down to me with anything else if i'm talking about andy reed versus sean mcdermott that we're going to be going head to head 
the whole game. From what Sean has shown us this year, I, I just can't imagine that he has a way to stop Mahomes. And even Mahomes, even with the way the receivers have been, Mahomes, that's the difference with these organizations, with these teams over the last couple of years, is the Bills find ways to lose these games, and Mahomes and Reed and the Chiefs find ways to win games that they should not win. Um, and so yep. it, the thing about that, even the Eagles game that they lost a couple of weeks ago, it's one. It is. That game is Mahomes throws the, one of the most beautiful footballs I've ever seen in my life. And Marcus Valdez-Scantling drops it. Like, they win that game that they had no business winning. And that's what that team does. And the Bills don't do that. So, I don't have a lot of faith for the Buffalo Bills on Sunday. And I honestly think that they kind of need this big kick in the ass. Hey, after the Maybe last 10 years weeks. from now, we'll be hearing stories about how the Chiefs Mafia formed out of that game. <laughs> <laughs> don't don't even get don't even get me started about how jealous everybody is that it's Bills Mafia and like no one else can use that. Everybody else like, is a nation, right? Like the Kingdom. <laughs> okay, we got that going. Sick. Good guys, you could have it. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, we this was great. Thank you all for joining and thank you for a great discussion on a lot of uh tough matters tonight and then just and parsing through a lot of nuanced conversations. I would not have Love the much. This is a great panel. I wouldn't have asked for anybody else to talk through this. So I appreciate you all being here. Mike, thank you again. Joe Cons, Robin Mundy. This is Jake Micah. Have a great night, folks. Uh, we'll be back next week.